Support for this podcast is provided by Paradox, the conversational AI company helping global talent acquisition teams at Unilever, McDonald's and CVS Health get recruiting work done faster. Let's face it, talent acquisition is full of boring administrative tasks that drag the hiring process down and create frustrating experiences for everyone. Paradox's AI assistant, Olivia, is shaking up that paradigm, automating things like applicant screening, interview scheduling, and candidate Q&A, so recruiters can spend more time with people, not software. Curious how Olivia can work for your team? Then visit paradox.ai to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 427 of the Recruiting Future podcast. I've been a keen follower of the job board market for several decades. It's been a market that's often been very slow to evolve, but the pace of innovation has been increasing considerably over the last few years. So what effect has the pandemic had on the job board industry and what's its likely future direction? My guest this week is Stephen Rothberg, founder and chief visionary officer of College Recruiter. Stephen has been in the job board industry since it started, and I could think of no better person to give us an update on the current state of the market. Hi, Stephen, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Matt. Good to be with you. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Sure. So I am Stephen Rothberg. I am the founder Chief Visionary Officer for College Recruiter. It's a job search site for students and recent graduates uh, based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Fantastic stuff. Now, I want to ask you lots of questions about the state of the job board market, how it's looking post the pandemic, where we might be going, really how talent acquisition professionals should be thinking about job board marketing at the moment. Before we do, though, I thought it would be good to get a bit of context because you've been in the industry for uh, quite quite some time. And I thought it would be interesting just to get your take on the evolution of job boards and how they've evolved since you set up College Recruiter. Yeah. So I started um, the, the company that College Recruiter grew out of um, back in 1991. But for the first five years, there was there was nothing job board or, or online about it. But back in that era, uh, sort of the mid '90s, it was a very, very different time. What we have now—that it was the, absolutely the wild west. There was a lot of stuff happening then that people thought was completely normal, and today people would just be completely aghast that anybody could have, with any ethics whatsoever, could have done that. Um, but it's not that people were bad; it's just that we were all paving new roads, and we didn't know where those roads were going to be going. At times, we didn't even know where, where they had come from. In that era, Netscape had just gone public, and all of a sudden, the internet became a household word. When we launched in 96, Yahoo had just launched. It was still two years away from Google launching, and it was still uh, about five, six years away from Google really generating any revenue whatsoever. Job boards um, were 
an unknown commodity. Um, there were a couple of hundred of them globally. There were sites like uh, OCC, Online Career Center, which later through acquisition and name change and whatever became Monster. Today, people who sort of are familiar with today's job board market really, I don't think, can grasp just how dominant some of those early players were. There wasn't a LinkedIn. There wasn't an Indeed. And the the monsters of the world, Career Mosaic is another kind of blast from the past. They really set the stage for the migration of recruitment advertising dollars away from print, primarily newspaper classified ads, and towards uh, the online market. But the business model was basically the same. I mean, rather than picking up a piece of paper and getting ink on your fingers, you were tapping away on your keyboard. No, absolutely. And I I remember it well. I sound very old myself now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And how did that, um, how did that sort of model develop, sort of takes up to the start of the pandemic? How did things evolve? Yeah, sure. So early 90s uh, or mid mid 90s into the early 2000s, virtually every job board um, had homegrown software. Um, they, they built their own. There were not third parties like Jobico, Magic, Smart Job Board, Job Board IO, et cetera. None of those players existed. So if you wanted to create a job board, you had to build the software. The expectations of the users were quite different than they are now. Um, there was no such thing as parsing technology or or you know the only well, the only artificial intelligence was in Arnold Schwarzenegger movies i mean it was just it was a completely different era there were in the late 90s um there was the dot com bubble that was sort of around the corner people were calling the market frothy so there was a ton of investment money coming in and you started to see the emergence of sort of a second generation of job board the first pay-per-click job board, there's a, a little bit of debate around it, not in my mind, but some people will try to rewrite history a little bit. But the first pay-per-click job board didn't come about until the early 2000s. So it was a six, seven, eight years after job boards started to become useful uh, to a lot of candidates. That that first job board that, that sold on a pay-per-click basis was called Top USA Jobs, uh, still exists. And about a year later, Indeed came along, and the the advent of Indeed really changed the entire market. It it uh, it shifted the way that ads were delivered. Truly, a post and pray model, like you had in in print media, where you would advertise a job and it might run for a day or a week or a month and the job boards kind of adopted that model and maybe that ad worked well and maybe it didn't and maybe you got zero applications and maybe you got 500 there was it was really very irrational employers that wanted to hire one person and might need 10 applications to hire that person would very often get 250 applications that's pretty bad for the candidates pretty bad for the employer in the long run, bad for the job board. What it, what Indeed did is that they used mostly on the back end. It was hidden from the user, but they kind of looked at the that the des- likely desired response for the employer and tried to meter that. They 
ranked jobs based in part upon how much the employer was paying, things like how many people you wanted to hire. You know, if you want to hire 10 people or 50 people, you need 10 times or 50 times the applications. And Indeed System was really the first really good, really popular one that did that. And the way that Indeed built their market share is kind of similar to some of the stuff that still happens today, including with us. And that is they recognized that other job boards, staffing companies, RPOs, etc., were much more sophisticated in their marketing. They were much more willing to spend uh, marketing dollars than a typical job board. And they could go to, indeed, could go to another job board and say, hey, you know, give us a budget of $10,000 a month or $50,000 a month and send us thousands or tens of thousands of jobs. And they could do that as quickly as selling one $200 posting to an employer who will then call up 18 times after that to complain about the results they're getting. So Indeed was able to really scale up their business by partnering with other job boards and staffing companies. As they built that critical mass, the job content, the number of postings, then they they sort of gradually weaned themselves off of taking postings from other job boards. And there was there were a lot of job boards who almost overnight essentially lost their business because all their traffic came from Indeed. And then you saw the same thing repeat with staffing companies. And today you're seeing some of that happening with direct employers too. LinkedIn comes along, has a bit of a different twist on it. Um, Hey, rather than advertising a job, um, you as an individual are essentially going to advertise your availability, but we're going to pretend that it's not a job board. And we're going to pretend that this is all about networking and just advancing your career. And anybody who wasn't heavily intoxicated knew that that really wasn't the truth. It was kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It was a job board that pretended not to be a job board. So you could go and get on it and your boss wouldn't be wondering if you were about to quit. Very, very, very clever. But almost all of their revenue from day one came from talent acquisition. It, you know, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's, it's a duck. One of the things that really started to change from that, what we now think of as being the standard in, in the job board world, sort of the, the Indeed, the LinkedIn, the, the monster, the career builder era. Um, in the UK, you've got sites like Total Jobs. In Australia, you've got all the Seek Jobs. In Germany and some other countries, you've got the Stepstones. But basically, big general sites where employers would advertise and search resumes, and they would do that on a duration basis, X dollars for Y days or X dollars for Y months. That model had really started to fade away uh, about five, six, seven years ago with the popularization of of two things. Um, One is a lot more employers and their representatives, the advertising agencies, the RPOs, the job distributors, becoming better and better at pay-for-performance. Generally, that's pay-per-click or pay-per-application. And kind of coincidentally, at the same time, programmatic, where you've got software making decisions about which ads to run on which sites, how prominently for how long. Um, that software is not doing anything that humans 
couldn't do, didn't do, sometimes still do with job slots. Uh, job slots where basically you buy like a posting or maybe five postings, and then you can run whatever jobs you want in those um, and swap them in and out over the course of a month. And and so programmatic, pardon me, will take your postings and rather than deciding that I should run this posting on XYZ job board for 30 days because I saw an ad on the Super Bowl for that job board, and therefore it must be a good job board. Instead, it's going to run that posting on the sites that are likely to generate the best results. And of course, Matt, you know what the best results are is that's that's in the that's in the eye of the beholder. Some employers want a lot of applications. Some employers want what they call quality applications. And if you ask them what quality is, they know it when they see it. And that's kind of a hard thing to then hold your vendor accountable for. Because if you don't know what you're looking for, how does somebody else who really doesn't understand your business know what you're looking for? You know, and and to sort of bring it up to today, what we're what we're seeing where we're going. And I I think that it's shared by a small number of other sites as well, is that with programmatic, with paper for for performance, and maybe some of it is due to the pandemic with a lot more people working remotely and and still continuing to do so to, to some degree, we're seeing a real consolidation in recruitment advertising spending that you know, if you and I had been talking about it 15 years ago, almost all recruitment advertising spending would have been very local. If you had a big box retailer with 300 stores, probably 80, 90% of your recruitment advertising budget would have been owned by the store managers. That manager needed to hire three people. She would put an ad in the local newspaper or maybe on Monster um, and spend, you know, $200 or $1,000 or whatever. And hopefully hire the two, three, four people she needed, and that would be it. And head office wouldn't be involved at all. It was her budget. And what's happened in the last couple of years is that budget has really shifted from the local level to the national level, and sometimes to the international level, to the, like the global headquarters. It's, I think it's a push-pull. One of the reasons that's at, that, that is happening is it's being pulled into the headquarters because they've they have created employment branding company or, or departments, and you've got people within those departments who are very sophisticated with marketing. They understand programmatic, they understand performance-based marketing, they understand branding, and they care about it, much more so than somebody at a local level who just needs to put a butt in a seat right now. At the same time, with that consolidation, you've got kind of a push if recruitment advertising dollars are going to be much more efficiently and effectively spent at that international level because they can better use the software, they have better techniques and strategies, then those dollars are naturally going to flow in, in most organizations to where they can be best be spent. Um, and so it's, it's not at all untypical now to see an organization with 50,000 people, 100,000 people, whatever, and there are two or three people who are rec- who are controlling the entire recruitment advertising budget for that entire organization. What's starting to do for our business is that 
we're seeing organizations, a small number to be sure, but in rapidly increasing, who are saying things like, hey, you're helping us in the US. We're advertising our early careers jobs, our part-time retail jobs, whatever, with you. Can you also do that for us in the UK? Can you do that in Australia? Can you do that in Germany? And some of the sites out there, like the LinkedIn's and the Indeed's of the world, they've been doing that for years, but it's newer to the smaller sites, like a college recruiter, to the, to the niche sites. And it creates a lot of complexities when you are operating across borders with different currencies, with different employment laws, uh, different customs and practices. It's, a, it's an interesting world, Matt. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York, and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com pod. That's www.wonolo.com pod and take the stress out of finding workers. I've been a close follower of job boards for <laughs> for many decades now. In fact, my my background was in was buying was buying job board space for um, ad agencies. So followed the followed the evolution very very closely over the years. And I think that in the in the kind of the last couple of years coming up to the pandemic, we were seeing so much kind of innovation and change in the job board in the job board space mm-hmm. and as you say it's interesting to, interesting to see what's what's happening now but i suppose to dig into that a, a bit deeper how has the pandemic affected that evolution in job boards because obviously uh, you know many employers are now struggling to find the the talent that they that they need are job boards benefiting from that are they or are they themselves struggling to fulfill that demand if I had to guess, I would say that at least 80%, probably more in the 90% range of job boards, large and small, US, EU, UK, Singapore-based, but globally, have benefited greatly from the uh, emergence from COVID. COVID hit the job board industry very hard, very quickly, just like it did for a lot of other industries, right? There were hardly any industries in those first few months that actually benefited. The Amazons of the world and the food delivery, you know, that their business was up incredibly in March, April, May of 2020. Um, job boards um, started to see um, some real uptick in certain areas around June of, of 2020. That's w- when our business started to really take off. It was in June 2020, but we are very heavy on the early 
talents. So part-time, seasonal, internship, entry-level job. And a lot of the employers that were hiring a lot were the employers with, you know, e-commerce warehouses, you know, the Amazons of the world, and then the uh, United Parcel Services and FedExes and and et cetera with, with shipping to all of our homes. The grocery stores that had food delivery though you know there was a lot of hiring of of those people and so if you were running a job board focused on chemical engineers in slovakia uh you were probably still hurting pretty big in in june of 2020 but virtually every job board that i have talked to over the last year um through just my work at College Recruiter. I'm also a, a co-host on a podcast called The Job Board Geek. So we get to talk to job boards on a weekly basis. Almost all of them now, their revenues and profitability are far greater than they were a couple of years ago. And it's due to the, the massive increase in hiring over the last couple of years. And what some people will call a labor shortage, I think it's much more about a labor mismatch. Interesting. To me, though, is that very few are talking about the impact of that labor mismatch or labor shortage on the actual job boards, you know, not just on their customers and therefore how much their customers are spending, but the job boards often are having trouble hiring the people that they need to hire too. I've talked to several job boards that have said that they are starved for talent, especially on the, the technology side hiring enough software engineers or software engineers that are good enough. But, you know, maybe maybe it's wishful thinking on, on my side. What I see over and over again from employers that are really struggling to hire is that the chickens are kind of coming home to roost. A lot of these employers have spent decades treating their employees like crap and paying them like crap. And the shoe is now on the other foot. They're not able to um, retain or attract the talent that they need because they've done a remarkably good job at alienating that talent, the people who have actually worked for them. And they've also built a really negative brand in the industry. You know, it's not 1982. It's pretty easy to jump online and see that XYZ employer early in the pandemic overnight let go 42% of its employees, right? They did not care nearly as much about their employees as they cared about their profitability. And those people remember how devastating that was. And so do their friends and so do their family members. And so does anybody who reads a blog or watches a TikTok video about how somebody was let go and they lost their home. And and in some countries like the US, they that caused them to lose their health insurance. Those are the employers, by and large, that are really struggling. Uh, also, employers that even did treat people well, the pay increases that they're able or willing to give um, are just not sufficient. Uh, I just, I just heard of a uh, of a city. Um, I'm I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, right now in business, and I just heard of a city here that made a big announcement and kind of yay yay us they raised the pay of all of their employees by five percent well three years ago that would have been fantastic i'm thinking if you put a one before that five 
now you're probably paying competitively. They probably need to increase their pay by 15%, not 5 If I was somebody who had been working for that municipality for the last eight years and probably received a total of a 2% pay increase over that period of time, for them to come to me now and say, your pay has gone up 5%, you should be so grateful. I, I think I would be searching a job boards. Just to shift that focus slightly, I just want to talk a little bit about experience for job seekers. One of the things that became sort of very obvious to me and uh, a lot of the employers that I was working, that I work with, was as job boards started trading traffic with each other more and more, and we kind of moved more into this sort of programmatic world, um, there, there was a real negative effect on the candidate experience because people were, f- were applying for jobs that they found on job boards, then being sent to other job boards and then other job boards. And, um, you know, I think it got very confusing from a candidate perspective. Is that something that you think the industry is, is addressing? Is it improving? Is the experience for candidates when they're using job boards getting any better? Oh, I, I, I wish I could tell you that the experience is getting better. There, there are two, two main schools of thought. And, and I think that the, the, the scenario that you're painting, unfortunately, is the dominant one. And that is when job boards, if an employer posts a job to job board A, it is very, very normal for that job board to then repost that or share that or distribute that, call it what you may, to a number of other job boards. Now, that's a good thing when it comes to programmatic working, just sort of in general. The job runs in a lot of places. The job kind of seeks out the candidate who's both qualified and searching actively enough that they're going to apply to it. So at a high level, that's a good thing that job boards share postings as as long as it's as as long as it's properly disclosed disclosed to the employer the employer should know that their job is going to be distributed and they should know at least generally where uh you know they don't want to run they don't want to see their job posted on a porn site for example right but if it's on 12 other well-regarded job boards that should be a good thing for them unfortunately the norm in the job board industry forever has been to use employer content to drive registrations to the job board. So job board A posts that job to job board B. In order for the candidate on job board B to apply to it, they first have to register with job board B. Then they get sent over to job board A, where they have to register again. And then sometimes they have to get sent over to the employer's site, to the ATS, and they have to register or apply or both. That's ridiculous. Candidates should not have to hand over their information to three different organizations to get a job from the last one in line. I believe that job boards shouldn't actually be taking candidate data in a scenario like that. If you're going to send that candidate over to the employer's website to apply, the candidate should only be asked to hand over their information once. They don't care about the job board. And I know a lot of job board owners, and I had dinner with a couple folks last night who heard me say this and, and, and thought that I was speaking heresy and I should be excommunicated from the job board industry. Well, not quite, but, but I don't think that job boards long term are going to be able to take 
candidate data. And I think it's just, it's the move to privacy. More and more consumers are aware of it. More and more governments are acting on it. I think five to 10 years from now, the the vast majority of the world is going to say, look, if you operate a website or some other kind of media, you're only going to be allowed to take data if it's absolutely necessary to function. So if you want to send the job match alert email to candidates and the candidates want that, well, duh, they have to give you their email address. But if you're just passing that candidate over to the employer to apply, you don't need that candidate data. So I think that some of that's going to go away. Um, at College Recruiter, we're in a very small minority where we actually do not accept personally identifiable information. And we just moved to that a couple months ago. Um, and we did so because when a candidate comes to our site, we believe, pardon my French, they don't give two craps about us. They come to our site to find a job. We're not the employer. We are helping to connect that employer with that candidate. And the more hurdles that we put in front of that employer in front of that candidate, the more difficult we make it for them to have that match and for them that employment to happen. So we want to minimize involvement in that. It also has the benefit of if we don't have that candidate data, we don't have to protect it. If we don't have that candidate data, we have no privacy issues. And so if an employer posts a job to us and then we post it to a college or university career service office site or some other kind of partner site, that candidate might see that job on the career service office site, click the apply button, they get instantly redirected through us and they go over to the employer's site to apply. So we are essentially invisible to the candidate. There's no stop. And I'm starting to see more and more job boards doing that, where the candidate does not stop on the job board, but instead they get passed through. So the fact that a job gets distributed to five or 50 or 500 job boards, and that candidate kind of goes from job board to job board to job board, that can be handled in a way that's completely invisible to the candidate. And the job board then, be, the, they really get to the core of their business, which is the business of connecting candidates with employers. Job boards that really understand that and truly embrace that would not want to create a scenario where candidates have to hand over their data simply to then be allowed through the next door to then, you know, to go to the next step in the process. I understand from a financial perspective why job boards want that data, because then if they have that data, they can then market other jobs to that candidate. They can then sell resume searching access or you know, CV searching, and employers will pay for that. But that's all about the job board's financials, and that's not what the candidates want. Generally, the vast majority of candidates don't care about the job board. They don't even really care about the employer or the employer's brand. They work, they trade their labor to get a paycheck so that they can put food on the table. And I don't think that we should fool ourselves that most people work for some enlightenment or because they believe in an employer's mission. Like 
people like you and I are fortunate. We were able to do that, but we are way out of the norm. The vast majority of people go to work for a local shop, not because they think that selling olive oil to somebody is a wonderful experience. It's because on Friday, they're going to get a paycheck for $500 and that's going to allow them to buy prescription medication for their kid. Absolutely. As a final question, and you've already hinted at aspects of this in the in the conversation already, but I'd be really interested in your perspective of what the future for job boards looks like and what should be on our radar in terms of things like technology or the, the way that things might change. What can TA leaders expect from, from job boards moving forward? Super question, because I, 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 I think a lot about this. As you might recall, like at the beginning, you asked me so like who I am, and part of my job title is, is chief visionary officer. So it, it's part of my job is to have my head up, looking around, looking at trends. Um, kind of sounds probably familiar to you, right, <laughs> for what you do. And it's, it's fun. It's interesting. Uh, we're probably proven wrong more than we're proven right. But if I had to hazard a guess, what I, what I think five years from now we're going to see is much less fragmentation, much, uh, far fewer siloed talent solution providers. I think that, that right now, I think that our industry is very much out of the norm. In almost every industry, you see very, very large players and you see very, very small players. And the middle-sized organizations tend to get squeezed out. They don't have the scale. They don't have the capital to compete with the big boys. And they're not small and nimble and dynamic enough to compete with the small organizations. So, I mean, when you think about where you buy stuff, grocery stores, cars, medicine, almost anything online, if you're buying shoes, if you're buying whatever, you're, you tend to either buy it from the very largest players, the, the Amazons of the world, uh, of the world, or the very small ones, the, the, the local grocer shop. And you, you know, you know, Fred, who's the person who, owns the shop and also put the apples out for display that morning. The talent solutions community is very different. There aren't very many, very, very large players. And there are a ton of medium-sized organizations, one of which is one of the ones that, that I helped to run, College Recruiter. We're not tiny, nor are we anywhere close to being massive. I think that there's going to be a lot of consolidation. I think that there'll be a lot of organizations that have built really good tech, but don't know how to generate revenue. And their tech will be snapped up by some of the startups that have really good funding or more likely some of the really big players. I, I could absolutely see the Indeeds of the world, the Seeks of the world, the, the Microsoft with LinkedIn, et cetera, coming along and snapping up a whole lot of these organizations that have raised, you know, 50 million, 100 million, 200 million dollars and are going to burn through that cash and create a really interesting product with really interesting technology that nobody is willing to buy. But that product can be folded into something that 
then actually delivers on its promise. Um, just as an example, um, and this is an organization that actually is good and is viable and has really good revenue. But just last week, the candidate ID acquisition by iSIMS is consistent with what I'm thinking, right? Candidate ID is a really great business. They raised a decent amount of money, but not exorbitant. And they've got from everything I've heard a really great product. But candidate ID as a standalone organization would never be able to bring that product to as many employers that can really leverage it. But now as part of the iSIMS family, almost overnight, they're going to have thousands of additional enterprise level customers that should be able to pretty easily plug that in. And so that's going to take this really great product and scale it up very, very quickly. I think we're going to see a lot more of those deals. I agree with you 100%. Stephen, thank you very much for talking to me. Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to at some point being in the same room with you again. My thanks to Stephen. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.